Section 3 of Fourteen Months in American Bastilles by Francis Key Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fort Lafayette. On the afternoon of the 25th of September, we left Fortress Monroe on the steamer George Peabody. There were no other passengers but the fifteen or twenty soldiers composing the guard. The boat was a Baltimore boat, and we received from her officers and crew the same courteous treatment that had been extended to us on board of the Adelaide. We reached Fort Lafayette in New York Harbor a little before dark on the afternoon of the 26th, and were immediately transferred from the boat to the fort. Fort Lafayette is built upon a shoal, or small island, lying in the Narrows, just between the lower end of Staten Island and Long Island, and two or three hundred yards from the latter. It is something of an octagonal structure, though the four principal sides are so much longer than the others that the building on the inside looks like a square. It is some forty-five or fifty feet high. In two of the longer and two of the shorter sides, which command the channel, are the batteries. There are two tiers of heavy guns on each of these sides, and above these are later barbette guns, under a temporary wooden roof. The other two principal sides are occupied, on the first and second stories, by small casements. All those on the second, and some of those on the first story, being then assigned to the officers and soldiers. There were, altogether, ten of these casements on each story. The whole space enclosed within the walls is about one hundred and twenty feet across. A pavement about twenty-five feet wide runs around this space, leaving a patch of ground some seventy feet square in the middle. A gloomier-looking place than Fort Lafayette, both within and without, it would be hard to find in the whole state of New York, or indeed anywhere. On the high bluff of Long Island stood Fort Hamilton, an extensive fortification whose commanding officer, Colonel Martin Burke, had also jurisdiction over Fort Lafayette. Lieutenant Charles O. Wood, who had a few months before received a commission from Mr. Lincoln, was commanding officer at Fort Lafayette. The two principal gun batteries, and four of the casements, in the lower story, were assigned to the prisoners. Each of these batteries was paved with brick, and was, I should judge, about sixty feet long and twenty-four feet wide. The one in which I was first quartered was lighted by five embrasures, the breadth and height of each being about two and a half feet, by two feet, and on the outside of these iron gratings had been fastened. There were five large thirty-two-pounders in this room, which were about eight feet apart, and with their carriages occupied a great deal of space. Five large doorways, seven or eight feet high, opened upon the enclosure within the walls and were closed by solid folding doors. We were only allowed to keep two of these doors, at one end of the battery, open, and at that end only could we usually see to read or write. The lower half of the battery was in a state of perpetual twilight. The adjoining battery was in all respects like the one I have attempted to describe. The four casements, which were occupied by prisoners, were vaulted cells, measuring twenty-four by fourteen feet in length and breadth, and eight feet at the highest point. Each was lighted by two small loopholes in the outer wall, about ten inches wide, and by a similar one opening on the inside enclosure. These casements were both dark and damp, 
but they had fireplaces in them, while it was impossible to warm the gun batteries until stoves were put up about a week or ten days before we left. The fort could not be made to accommodate twenty people decently besides the garrison. Nevertheless, there were always largely over a hundred crowded into it, and at one time there were as many as one hundred and thirty-five. When I and my companions reached the wharf, we were met by Lieutenant Wood. I had seen him at Fort Hamilton some six weeks before, having gone there to try and see my father, who was then confined in Fort Lafayette. Wood recognized me, and requested me to introduce to him the gentlemen who were with me. This was the first and last occasion, as far as I know, on which he manifested a disposition to treat us with civility. His bearing at all times subsequently was that of an ordinary jailer, except perhaps that he displayed even less good feeling than usually characterizes that class of people. We were marched into the gun battery I have mentioned, and as the prisoners already there, many of whom were our acquaintances or friends, crowded around us, Lieutenant Wood requested all to leave the room, except those comprised in what he elegantly termed the last lot. We were then required to give up all the money in our possession. We were each furnished that night with an iron bedstead, a bag of straw, and one shoddy blanket. When we had time to look around us, we found there were some twenty prisoners already quartered in the battery, and the number of inmates was therefore increased to about thirty-five by the addition of our party. The beds, which were arranged between the guns, almost touched each other. If we had had other furniture, we should not have known what to do with it, three or four chairs and a couple of small tables, being all that we could afterwards find space for. We found in the morning that the gun battery adjoining ours was, if possible, more crowded than the one we occupied, and the casements were as much crowded as the batteries. There were, as I have stated, four casements on the lower or ground floor, allotted to prisoners. Three of these contained nine or ten persons each, and into the fourth were thrust at that time very nearly thirty prisoners, who were either privateersmen or sailors, who had been taken while running the blockade on the southern coast. These men had neither beds nor blankets, and were all, or nearly all, in irons. Their situation was wretched in the extreme. Such was the condition of things at Fort Lafayette when we reached it and we were not a little astonished to learn from our friends, who had been there longer, that their situation had been even worse a few weeks previously than it then was. To give a correct idea of the manner in which the government dealt with gentlemen who, by its own admission, had been arrested, or were then held merely by way of precaution, I insert the following letters, which had, before my arrival, been sent by my father to the parties to whom they are respectively addressed. Fort Lafayette, New York, August 1st, 1861. Honorable Simon Cameron, Secretary of War, Washington, D.C. Sir, after the interview I had with you in Fort McHenry on the 4th Ultimo, and in view of the assurances you then expressed as to the manner in which I and the gentlemen with me were entitled to be treated during our confinement by the general government, I cannot refrain from expressing my surprise at the condition in which by its orders, we now find ourselves. On Monday evening last, we were placed on board the steamer Joseph Whitney, with a detachment of soldiers, all information as to our place of destination being positively refused 
both to us and to the members of our families. Both General Dix and Major Morris, however, gave the most positive assurances, that, at the place to which we should be taken, we would be made much more comfortable, and the limits of our confinement would be less restricted than at Fort McHenry. Yesterday we were landed here, and are kept in close custody. No provision whatever had been made for us here, and last night we were shut up, eight persons in a vaulted room or casement, about twenty-four by fourteen feet, having three small windows, each about three feet by fourteen inches, and a close wooden door, which was shut and locked upon us soon after nine o'clock, and remained so until morning. Some of the party, by permission, brought on our own bedsteads and bedding, with which we had been compelled to supply ourselves at Fort McHenry. Otherwise we should have been compelled to lie on the bare floor, the officers here stating to us that they had no supplies whatever, and could not furnish us with blankets, even of the most ordinary kind. We are distinctly notified that the orders under which the commanding officer of the post is acting require him to impose upon us the following, among other restrictions, viz., we are allowed to receive or forward no letters from or to even our own families, unless they are submitted to inspection and perusal by some military officer. No friend can visit us without the permission of Colonel Burke, whose quarters are not at this fort, and no intimation has been given that such permission will be readily granted. We are to receive no newspapers from any quarter. For one hour in the morning, and one in the evening only, we are to be allowed to take exercise by walking about in a small square, not larger than some sixty or seventy feet each way, surrounded on the four sides by the massive buildings of the fort, three stories in height. We were, on our arrival here, required to surrender all the money we had, and all writing paper and envelopes, our baggage being all searched for these and other articles that might be chosen to be considered as contraband. It is unnecessary to give any further details to satisfy you that our condition, as to physical comfort, is no better than that of the worst felons in any common jail in the country. Having been arrested and already imprisoned for a month, without a charge of any legal offence having been, as yet, preferred against me, or those arrested at the same time with me, it is useless to make any further protest to you against the continuance of our confinement. But we do insist, as a matter of common right, as well as in fulfilment of your own declarations to me, that if the government chooses to exercise its power, by restraining us of our liberty, it is bound in ordinary decency to make such provision for our comfort and health, as gentlemen against whom, if charges had been preferred, they have not been made known, and all opportunity for an investigation has been denied, are recognized in every civilized community to be entitled to. It is but just to Colonel Burke and Lieutenant Wood, who commands the garrison here, that I should add that both of these officers have professed their desire to extend to us all comforts, that their instructions will allow, and the means at their command will enable them to do. They have, however, each stated that the orders under which they act are imperative, and that their supplies of even the most common articles are at present very limited. I have written this letter on my bed, sitting on the floor, upon a carpet-bag, there being neither table, chair, stool, or bench in the room. I have the honor to be your obedient servant, Charles Howard. Fort Lafayette, New York Harbor, August 7th, 1862
1861. Honorable Simon Cameron, Secretary of War, Washington, D.C. Sir, I addressed a communication yesterday to Colonel Burke, which he advised me he had forwarded to Washington. In reply he has written a note to Lieutenant Wood, and instructed him to read it to us. The substance of this note was, that as some of the letters we had written to our families, if they were to find their way into the newspapers, might influence the public mind, the Colonel had thought it proper to forward them all to the headquarters of the army. He further stated that the orders he had received were, to treat us kindly, but keep us safely. As to the first part, allow me to say that whatever our condition may be, the minds of our friends, and of all others, who may feel any interest in the matter, will surely be less apt to be influenced unfavorably towards the government by knowing the truth about us, than they will be by their finding that our communications with them are intercepted, and that they are allowed to hear nothing whatever as to how we are treated. They will necessarily conclude that our imprisonment is exactly like that of those who used to be confined in the Bastille, as in fact it is, who were allowed to hold no communications except such as might be entirely agreeable and acceptable to their custodians. They will, of course, be kept in a continual state of great anxiety and uneasiness, and their sympathies will be constantly excited in our behalf. The distress that will thus be inflicted upon our families can be termed nothing less than cruelty. In the next place it is hard to conceive how it can be reconciled with anything like the idea of kind treatment to prohibit our reception of all newspapers whatever, or the unrestricted delivery to us, without examination, of all letters that may be addressed to us, whilst it certainly cannot be shown that such prohibitions are at all necessary to ensure our safe-keeping. The examination of and the discretion claim to retain letters to us from the nearest members of our families, as well as the preventing us from receiving newspapers, can only be regarded as measures of punishment, adopted towards those who have been convicted of no offense, to whom no opportunity has been afforded for an investigation of any charges that may possibly have been preferred against them, and for whose arrest, as our counsel was assured by General Banks, there were no other reasons than the allegations set forth by him in his proclamation, in the continuance of whose confinement he stated to be solely a precautionary measure on the part of the government. These assurances were given by him at Fort McHenry. I will add that whatever may be the disposition of the officer commanding the post, and of those in his garrison to treat us kindly, they are restricted in doing so, within extremely narrow limits, either by orders they may have received, or by the means of extending such treatment, not having been supplied to them. We are isolated, at a distance of two hundred miles from our families, and all but a few friends, and with these we are permitted to have no intercourse. We are thrown upon our own resources, those of us who may have means, being allowed to find, at our own cost, within the fort, decent, but very ordinary fare, whilst those who cannot, in justice to their families, afford such expense, have nothing but the ordinary rations of the soldier, which are of the coarsest kind. In consequence of the delay in other departments of the service, in complying with the requisitions which the officers here have made, we should at this moment, though we have been here a week, have been without a chair or table, but for the courtesy of Lieutenant Sterling, 
who, seeing our state of utter discomfort, has lent to us two chairs from his own quarters, and that of a wife of a sergeant, who has lent us a small stand. We are informed, however, that a supply of such articles may be expected, for our use, from the city this evening. Finally, there are six of us confined in one room, precisely similar, in all respects, to that described in my letter of the first instant, to which I beg leave to refer you. I have the honor to be your obedient servant, Charles Howard. Fort Lafayette, New York Harbor, August 8, 1861. Lieutenant General Scott, Commander-in-Chief, USA. Headquarters, Washington, D.C. Sir, by a letter received last night from Mrs. Howard, I learned that in reply to the inquiries she made of you, she was informed that I would be decently lodged and subsisted here. I wrote to the Honorable, the Secretary of War, on the first instant, and again yesterday, advising him of the treatment which I and my fellow prisoners are receiving. A perusal of those letters would satisfy you that these assurances are not verified. I need here only say that we are not decently lodged, nor are we in any sense of the words decently subsisted by the government. The only proffer of subsistence made to us has been to feed us like the private soldiers of the garrison, or to allow us to procure other meals at our own cost. I have the honor to be your obedient servant, Charles Howard. Fort Lafayette, New York Harbor, August 12th. 1861. Honorable Simon Cameron, Secretary of War, Washington, D.C. Sir, I laid before you a statement of the condition in which I am kept, in two former communications, the one on the first instant, and the other a few days subsequently, to which I beg leave to refer. And I should not again trouble you, had I not, since my last, learned on the direct authority of Lieutenant General Scott, that an order had been given by the Department of State that the political prisoners confined at Fort Lafayette shall be decently lodged and subsisted, unless they prefer to provide for themselves. The decent lodging furnished us consisted in putting seven gentlemen to sleep in one room, of which I have before given you a description. Within this, or at the door of it, we are required to remain, except during two hours in the day, or whilst taking our meals. The decent subsistence offered us, in the alternative of our declining, or not having the means to provide for ourselves, is much inferior in many respects to that furnished to convicted felons in the Baltimore penitentiary and jail, and so far as I am informed, in any well-regulated prison in the country. The officers here advise us that this is the only fare which, under the instructions given, and the means allowed to them by the government, they can offer. How far such treatment is in accordance with the instructions of the government, as expressed by the Department of State, with the assurance given to me personally by yourself, or with the promises voluntarily made by Major General John A. Dix and Major William W. Morris, I leave it, sir, for you to judge. I have the honor to be your obedient servant, Charles Howard. Fort Lafayette, New York Harbor, August 19, 1861. Honorable William H. Seward, Secretary of State, Washington, D.C. Sir, my family were informed by Lieutenant General Scott, under date of the third instance, 
that an order had been given by the Department of State that the political prisoners confined at Fort Lafayette shall be decently lodged and subsisted, unless they prefer to provide for themselves. About the same time, I was advised by Lieutenant Colonel Burke, commanding this post, that his instructions were to treat us kindly, but keep us safely. I beg leave, sir, to inform you that your order has not been complied with. It cannot be considered as decent lodging, to put a number of gentlemen accustomed to the comforts of life, to sleep in one low-vaulted room, in or at the door of which they are confined, except for two hours in the twenty-four. The number sleeping in the room in which I am now placed has varied from five to seven. There are now here six of us. The only subsistence provided for us by the government, as the alternative of providing for ourselves, has been the proffer of the single ration, distributed here to the private soldier, which is inferior, both in quantity and quality, to the fare furnished to the convicted felons in many of the jails and penitentiaries throughout the country. And this is the decent subsistence, offered to men who have been arrested, and are held on suspicion only, and who have not ceased to demand an open investigation of any charges that may possibly have been preferred against them, a demand which has been persistently denied. I have no grounds for imputing to Colonel Burke, or the officers of this garrison, any intentional disposition to treat us unkindly. But acting as they state themselves to be, in obedience to the orders which they have received, we are subject to various harsh and arbitrary restrictions, which are utterly irreconcilable with the idea of kind treatment, whilst they are equally unnecessary for the ensuring of our safe-keeping. I deem it useless at present to go more into details, as I have already described the condition in which we are placed, in three communications to the Honorable the Secretary of War, on the first, seventh, and twelfth instant respectively, and in one to Lieutenant General Scott, on the eighth instant, of none of which does any notice appear to have been taken. Should you, sir, however, desire a fuller statement than I have here made, to be addressed directly to yourself, one shall be forwarded, as soon as I may be apprised of your wishes. I have the honor to be your obedient servant, Charles Howard. Not the slightest notice was taken of these letters by the persons to whom they were addressed, unless the few chairs and sheets and blankets, which were furnished some time afterwards, were distributed by special order from Washington. To show how desirous the officers of the government were, at that time, to keep, even from the families of the prisoners, all knowledge of their actual condition, I am permitted to cite this letter from Mr. Gatchell, one of the police commissioners of Baltimore. Lieutenant Wood refused to forward it to its destination. It was written in pencil. Fort Lafayette, New York My dear wife, I write on my knee, and with very little light. But I cannot help saying to you, so that you may know as soon as possible, that notwithstanding the assurances given to us when we left Fort McHenry, we are altogether as uncomfortable as it is possible to be. The gentleman in command has expressed his desire to do all in his power for our comfort, but he has not the means. Don't write until I give you notice, for at present we are cut off from all communication with our friends, except writing to them, and our letters inspected. Love to all. Affectionately, William H. Gatchell. Wednesday evening, 31st July. 
Lieutenant Wood, who had expressed his desire to do all in his power for the comfort of the prisoners, sent back the above letter after the lapse of two or three weeks to Mr. Gatchell. He informed Mr. Gatchell, when he returned it, that it had been forwarded to Washington for inspection, and that he was not allowed to let it pass. I had, during the visit to New York, of which I have already spoken, learned how outrageously my father and his companions were treated, and I published in the New York Daily News a full statement of the facts. It was never contradicted by the agents of the government, and was apparently unnoticed by the public. At that time, also, I met Major Klitz, of the United States Army, who was then stationed at Fort Hamilton, who, in reply to some remarks of mine, admitted that there were not decent accommodations in Fort Lafayette for fifteen prisoners. Major Klitz came over to Fort Lafayette while I was myself a prisoner there, and I reminded him of that conversation. He unhesitatingly replied that he was still of the same opinion. Shortly after the visit just mentioned, the prisoners were permitted to receive the daily papers, and were allowed the use of liquor, under certain restrictions. The liquors they chose to order were kept by Lieutenant Wood, and were given out, day by day, in moderate quantities. The day after we arrived, we sent to New York for beds, bedding, and other necessary articles of furniture. These we received a few days afterwards. Before our arrival, those of the prisoners who chose to do so had obtained permission to board with the ordnance sergeant, who had been many years at the post. He and his family occupied two or three of the lower casements, and he undertook to furnish us two meals daily, at a charge to each prisoner of a dollar a day. This arrangement most of our party adopted. The others preferred or could not afford to do otherwise than accept the government rations, upon which the majority of the prisoners were living. These were of the coarsest description, and were served in the coarsest style. A tin plate and a tin cup to each person constituted the whole table furniture. The dinner consisted of fat pork and beans, a cup of thin soup, and bread, or of boiled beef and potatoes, and bread on alternate days. For breakfast, bread and weak, unpalatable coffee were distributed. This fare was precisely the same as that furnished to the soldiers. I more than once examined these rations after they were served. The coffee was a muddy liquid in which the taste of coffee was barely perceptible, the predominating flavor being a combination of burnt beans and foul water. The soup was, if possible, worse, the only palatable thing about it being the few stray grains of rice that could sometimes be fished out of each can. The pork and beef were of the most indifferent quality, and were at times only half-cooked. Over and over again have I seen gentlemen, who had been always accustomed to all the comforts of life, forced to turn away with loathing from the miserable food thus provided for them. The fare furnished to those of us who boarded with a sergeant was very plain, but good enough of its kind. On the 8th of October, we addressed the following remonstrance to the President. The statements which it contains were purposefully made as moderate and temperate as was consistent with the truth. Fort Lafayette, 8th October, 1861 His Excellency, the President of the United States Sir, the undersigned, prisoners confined in Fort Lafayette, are compelled to address you 
this protest and remonstrance against the inhumanity of their confinement and treatment. The officers in command at Fort Hamilton, and this post, being fully aware of the grievances and privations to which we are obliged to submit, we are bound for humanity's sake to presume that they have no authority or means to redress or remove them. They, in fact, assure us that they have not. Our only recourse, therefore, is to lay the statement before you, in order that you may interpose to prevent our being any longer exposed to them. The prisoners at this post are confined in four small casements and two large battery rooms. The former are about fourteen feet in breadth and twenty-four or thereabouts in length, with arched ceilings about eight and a half feet high at the highest point, the spring of the arc commencing at about five feet from the floor. In each of these is a fireplace, and the floors are of plank. The battery rooms are of considerably higher pitch, and the floors are of brick, and a large space is occupied in them by the heavy guns and gun carriages of the batteries. They have no fireplaces or means of protection from cold or moisture, and the doors are large, like those of a carriage house, rendering the admission of light impossible without entire exposure to the temperature and weather without. In one of the small casements, twenty-three prisoners are confined, two-thirds of them in irons, without beds, bedding, or any of the commonest necessaries. Their condition could hardly be worse, if they were in a slave-ship on the middle passage. In each of two out of the three other casements, ten gentlemen are imprisoned. In the third there are nine, and a tenth is allotted to it. Their beds and necessary luggage, leaving them scarce space to move, and rendering the commonest personal cleanliness almost an impossibility. The doors are all fastened from six or thereabouts in the evening, until the same hour in the morning, and with all the windows, which are small, left open in all weathers, it is hardly possible to sleep in the foul, unwholesome air. In one of the larger battery rooms there are thirty-four prisoners closely crowded, into the other thirty-five. All the doors are closed for the same period as stated above, and the only ventilation is then from the embrasures, and so imperfect that the atmosphere is oppressive and almost stifling. Even during the day three of the doors of one of these apartments are kept closed, against the remonstrances of the medical men who are among the inmates, and to the utter exclusion of wholesome and necessary light and air. In damp weather all these unhealthy annoyances and painful discomforts are of course greatly augmented, and when, as to-day, the prisoners are compelled by rain to continue within doors, their situation becomes almost intolerable. The undersigned do not hesitate to say that no intelligent inspector of prisons can fail to pronounce their accommodations as wretchedly deficient and altogether incompatible with health, and it is obvious, as we already feel, that the growing inclemencies of the season which is upon us must make our condition more and more nearly unendurable. Many of the prisoners are men advanced in life. Many more are of infirm health or delicate constitutions. The greater portion of them have been accustomed to the reasonable comforts of life, none of which are accessible to them here, and their liability of illness is, of course, proportionately greater on that account. Many have already suffered seriously from the indisposition augmented by the restrictions imposed upon them. A contagious cutaneous disease is now spreading in one of the larger apartments, 
and the physicians who are among us are positive that some serious general disorder must be the inevitable result if our situation remains unimproved. The use of any but salt water, except for drinking, has been for some time altogether denied to us. The cistern water itself, for some days past, has been filled with dirt and animalcules, and the supply, even of that, has been so low, that yesterday we were almost wholly without drinking water. A few of us who have the means to purchase some trifling necessaries, have been able to relieve ourselves from this latter privation, to some extent, by procuring an occasional, though greatly inadequate, supply of fresh water from the Long Island side. It only remains to add that the fare is of the commonest and coarsest soldiers' rations, almost invariably ill-prepared and ill-cooked. Some of us who are better able than the rest are permitted to take our meals at a private mess, supplied by the wife of the ordnance sergeant, for which we pay, at the rate of a dollar per day, from our own funds. Those who are less fortunate are compelled to submit to a diet so bad and unusual as to be seriously prejudicial to their health. The undersigned have entered into these partial details, because they cannot believe that it is the purpose of the government to destroy their health or sacrifice their lives, by visiting them with such cruel hardships, and they will hope, unless forced to a contrary conclusion, that it can only be necessary to present the facts to you, plainly, in order to secure the necessary relief. We desire to say nothing here in regard to the justice or injustice of our imprisonment, but we respectfully insist upon our right to be treated with decency and common humanity, so long as the government sees fit to confine us. Commending the matter to your earliest consideration and prompt interference, we are your obedient servants. H. May J. T. McFeet E. C. Lober J. K. Milner W. M. G. Harrison B. Mills, M. D. Robert Muir Andrew Lynch, M. D. J. N. O. Williams H. R. Stevens Robert M. Dennison, J. W. Roberts, Samuel H. Lyon, R. R. Walker, L. Sangston, Charles M. Haglin, G. O. Van Ambring, Bethel Burton, Hilary Senus, S. J. Anderson, W. R. Butt, Rich S. Freeman, B. P. Loyal, G. P. Presay, W. H. Ward, L. G. Quinlan, T. Parkin Scott, W. E. Kearney, P. F. Raisin, G. A. Shackelford, J. N. O. C. Brain, J. N. O. H. Cusick, J. H. Gordon, J. O. S. W. Griffith, C. J. Durant, Robert Drain, W. M. Barr, J. N. O. W. Davis, R. T. Jurette, T. S. Wilson, J. Hanson Thomas, Robert Hansel, C. J. Faulkner, A. D. Wharton, Charles Howard, Samuel Eakins, Jeffrey W. M. Brown, J. B. Barber, W. M. H. Gatchell, Edwin Payne, C. S. Moorhead, A. Dawson, James A. McMaster, J. N. O. M. Brewer, Charles H. Pitts, Ellis B. Schnabel, R. H. Alvey, H. B. Claiborne, S. T. Wallace, F. Wyatt, Austin E. Smith, E. S. Ruggles, F. K. Howard, James E. Murphy. 
Henry M. Warfield, L. S. Hobbsclaw, G. O. P. Kane, Algernon S. Sullivan, Charles McGill, M. D., James Chapin, G. O. W. Barnard, E. B. Wilder, F. M. Crow, A. McDowell, H. G. Thurber, W. M. Grubbs, E. G. Kilburn, Charles Copperell, T. H. Woolridge, Thomas W. Hall, Jr. End of section 3. Recording by Katie Riley. September 2010.